Well, hello and welcome to the Smells Like Money podcast. Join me, Suzanne Chin-Taylor, the doo-doo diva, as I interview guests who are making an impact on how we manage and operate systems for conveying and treating wastewater. As a veteran of the wastewater, trenchless, and civil infrastructure industry, each week, I'll be bringing you industry know-how from industry pros who know how. Join me each week as I speak with representatives of organizations that are utilizing disruptive or new technologies and methods, and executives who are excited to share how to be successful and sustainable in our vital industry. So whether you want to learn about the latest trends in technology, in treatment or trenchless, gain tips on training and retaining great talent, or simply how to be more efficient, productive, or profitable, this podcast is for you. Ready? Let's dive right in. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Doo Diva Smells Like Money podcast. And in keeping with smelling like money, we're going to be talking about money today. We are visiting with Eric Coffey, the founder of GovCon Giants. So welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you for having me today. And what we're going to be discussing today is federal government contracting. And this is something that Eric specializes in, in helping entities win those very lucrative contracts. And we want to dispel some of the myths or misconceptions that a lot of people that I'm sure are listening today have about federal and government contracting and how some of the things that you might be thinking are so far from the truth. And the first big one that I want Eric to address, and I, I think it's important because he and I are sitting here looking at each other and we are both minorities, is that right. people think, oh gosh, I can never qualify for a federal government contract. I'm not a minority. And right. so, Eric, tell me about that, because you shared with me something that it was like jaw dropping when you gave me the statistic. Yeah, you know, um, well, something that some you know people can do quite easily. I always tell people that um, a lot of times, Susan, for me, um, we're carrying around uh, a piece of information that one person shared with us and that we make that our truth. So it's not like we don't have access to Google, right? Yahoo. And we could do research and just clearly find out and dispel these things. One person might've said that, oh, those government contracts always go to minorities or you gotta be a minority to do it. And so we kept that in our brains and then we just went with it. Rather than simply Googling DOD top 100 contractors. And in fact, you'll see there's zero minorities that own the top 100 contractors. And then let's take it a step further, right? And realize that the top 50 companies that do DOD work, uh, they're getting probably somewhere around 50% of all the business. So the top 50 companies are getting winning about 50% of all contracts within the government. So how can it clearly be a program for minorities when none of those companies represent uh, are represented by minorities at all? And when you were saying that that little known fact, do a deeper dive, not that we want to get too political here, but the statistics on the percentage of non-minority businesses you were saying that are owned by. Yeah. So, I mean, let's, 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 yeah. So let's just talk about goals, right? So the goals for the government is to spend 23% with small businesses. That's not minorities. It's small businesses, right? So again, when we're talking about 23%, you still leave on the table, right? 77% of the pie that goes to, right? 
the t- right. the typical uh, folks that we're talking about here. So even if, right, even just just looking at that fact alone yeah. to tell you that that there, this is not true, that's simply not true, that the majority of this stuff goes to minorities because if it did, they wouldn't need to set up a goal to help small <laughs> businesses with participation. So when people tell me this stuff, I just think it's crazy because uh, we've got a goal of 23% small businesses, which does not preclude non-minorities, right? And then if you dig deeper, you've got a goal for women, which could be of any uh, ethnicity. You've got a goal for veterans, which could be of any ethnicity. You have a goal for hub zone, could which be of any ethnicity. So really, where is the minorities piece? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the one program... There's one program that is the um, Small Disadvantaged Business Program, um, also known as 8A program, which, again, does not preclude non-minorities. However, if you are not, if you are a minority, uh, you was, they assume that you have been socially, uh, you're socially disadvantaged. But it doesn't mean that if you're a non-minority that you're not socially disadvantaged. You just have to prove that. So the one program that's 5% of all the spending is has a minority component, doesn't ensure that you get it, but it does have a minority component of it. Okay, Wow but it doesn't exclude non-minorities. So there's zero federal programs that exclude uh, non-minority people, which is, let's say, white man or Anglo man. Right. Zero. So where do, I don't know where people get this stuff where they talk about these are minority programs. There's, 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 no, there's no actual evidence of this to test that this actually is a true statement. Wow. So for those of us, you know, in this industry, in the wastewater, you know, municipal infrastructure, buried utilities and whatnot, I, I think some people, another myth, you know, at least in, in our little circle, thinks that, oh, well, uh, most of my work is going to be on the state or the city level. You know, where would there be work for me in the federal government? You know, when we think of like public works projects and the first thing that popped into my mind, I'd like you to address that or maybe that myth in the federal government. Military bases. Public, yeah, so public lands, you know, that are well, you know, under the jurisdiction federal federal government. Well, OK, um, GSA is the number one building owner in our country. Oh, I did not know that. Uh, we start there. For, so for people who don't understand who that stands, GSA is the General Services Administration? General Services Administration. It's all your federal courthouses, your prisons, right? Um, GSA buildings, uh, just GSA. They're everywhere USA. They're everywhere all across the country. There's GSA buildings. <laughs> so all those buildings have to be maintained. They have to be serviced. They have to be repairs on them. And Again, the reason why I talk about federal contracting is because it's one set of rules that applies across the board, regardless of what state or municipality that you serve. Uh, there's only a few agencies that don't follow the FAR, right? Like FAA and DOD has its own set of rules. But for the most part, 95% of all government agencies follow one set of rules. Wow. So, so for me, it's an easy, once you learn it and you understand it, then you can take that and apply it regardless of if you cross some sort of artificial boundary line uh, for that city, that municipality, that local government, or into the next state. Because some people live in states that border other states, and it'd be unfair for them to have to learn a new set of rules or obtain a new set of qualifications just to cross this artificial boundary line. Mm. 
So what are others, some of the other big misconceptions that you hear in your business or like mindsets that, you know, aside from the minority that people don't understand about federal contracting or government contracting? Yeah. So one of the things that I hear often is that the government pays slow. Okay. And right. Um, and so when, when, when I, when I, when people say that to me, I always say, are you talking about federal state or local? That's the first question I ask because they, when they say government, they lump government all as one body. And in fact, the federal government, particularly if you're a small business, right? And if you're, if you're a prime contractor, they have what's called the Prompt Payment Act. Oftentimes we get paid in 14 days. Wow. Now, granted, you have to have all your paperwork correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. But assuming that, right, all your paperwork is correct and, um, Right. The government has already approved like whatever that you delivered, that that it was accepted and things like that. Then typically um, we get paid in 14 days on service based contracts and on products. If it's a final delivery in 30 days. And. They have rules that say if they don't pay you in that time frame, they will pay you interest on the money that's owed. And I have actually been paid interest on my monies for them paying me late. Wow. Now. How about myths about being the prime or being the sub, like advantages, disadvantages of of that when going in for a, a contract? Is it is it easier for you to come in as a sub under somebody else being the prime or is it advantageous for you to try to be the prime? Or I guess that depends on the, the scenario and the contract. You know, um, that one is really a mixed bag. Uh, it, um, yes. Uh, I would say that there's less responsibility on your part if you come in as a subcontractor. Uh, however, I do believe that with the government, I, you know, it can be depending upon who you're working for, right? The, some of the, some of the prime contractors, um, right. They want to maintain control. And so they have, it doesn't prepare you to become a prime. Okay. And so depending upon that relationship, you could be a subcontractor for your whole life, the life cycle of your business, and never be prepared to become a prime. So what I encourage a small business to do is to learn how to be a prime. Take the time. And um, again, with the exception of a few disciplines like cybersecurity and things like that, which uh, clearly you don't want a new startup company touching our government's uh right cyber things where they could be jeopardizing some some national security issues outside of that scope right most other things um the government's bought it time and time again and so there's really the risk to the government it's low okay um and so for example i mean if you're cleaning a building or right or you're replacing a roof or you know whatever, with the exception of replacing bridges and right things that impact people, most of the things that you're delivering tape and papers and pens, or it's just low. It's not a lot of risk to the government. Um, and you get a chance to learn how to, what it takes to be a prime. But if you are in certain areas where you're unfamiliar with, uh, right, like this, it's high risk, high reward, then it may, it probably, it does behoove you to start off as a subcontractor and learn the ropes so that you don't have a lot of exposure. And uh, it is a different way of doing business. It doesn't always make sense. Uh, and so I definitely want, if you've never done it before, it may it make a lot of sense to go on and know someone if you're in like this really specialty area, like providing skiffs or uh, specialty boxes, things like that, where 
if you are not careful, the the downside is really high. For most of the, our audience, they would probably be either providing, you know, equipment for maintenance or okay. they would be providing services such as, you know, building services or being on a military base where they're taking care of the underground utilities or the pipelines or maybe on-site wastewater treatment. So it is, so there, is how, and so um, what other misconception is there? Because a lot of times I hear, oh my gosh, it's so hard to get a contract. It's it's so much work. And, you know, is, is it really the, the, that misconception? Is, is it worth it to get certified? If you're a minority, this is something else I wanted to touch on. The, the misconception of, is it really worth it if you qualify to be a WBE or a minority business enterprise or looking if you're in an enterprise like a, a hub zone? Because there's a lot of people that are rural that are, that do qualify and may not even be aware that they're in a hub zone. So um, I do not think that um, chasing certifications is a uh, pathway. Um, okay. Oh, thank you for that. Okay. So uh, I, that is, that is probably, that is the majority of people out here uh, will disagree with me and their path forward is chasing um, these certifications. Uh, I believe that uh, people would be better served understanding rules, regulations, learning how to do business development, learning the procurement process, the life cycle process, understanding the customer's needs, and really spend your time on those things. Uh, because there's a plenty of people out here that have certifications with no contracts. And so if you spend your effort oh, yeah. and time there's and energy, there's a if you spend your time there. and energy chasing certifications and not learning the ropes, you'll be one of the many, not the few that actually win. Right. Yeah. So there's the misconception. Just because you get a certification doesn't guarantee that you're going to get a contract. There's yeah. And and one of the things that, that people often hear uh, is that I'm a XYZ certification person, right? The, you have to use me. And so they tell government people have said that uh, there have been small businesses that say that to them. And while it's true that they do have to use certified businesses, I don't have to choose you. <laughs> Right. So it is true. The government does have to spend certain dollars with certified businesses, but they have tens of thousands to choose from. It doesn't have to be your business. Uh, and so trying to um, assert that uh, you're going to win something over by force or demand is a false notion. Wow. <laughs> and that's yeah. what a lot of times people are coming across when you ask someone, tell me about your business. And they say, I'm a woman owned hub zone company. Instead That's of saying, people, this is, yeah, this is how, this is the, the solution we provide. Or whatever. How about, what do you do? <laughs> Forget what solution. Do do? It's like, that's, that's nice. Forget solution you provide. What do you do? Do you paint? <laughs> do you sing? Do you dance? You have drive buses? <laughs> I mean, right? Like, I mean, yeah. a lot, this is, this is what happens with people. When people focus their time and efforts purely on certifications and they can't even describe to you what their business does. So I tell people, let's, how about, let's start off with your story. Let's start off understanding what the government buys. Let's start off understanding how they procure the things that you sell to them. Most small businesses, 
the majority focus on certifications because the government says we can't use you unless you're certified, which again is another myth because the majority of their money is spent with non-certified companies. So how can that, that those two things are, are, are not even, they're mutually exclusive. If the majority of their dollars are being spent with non-certified companies, how can they tell you they can't use you if you're not certified? I don't, I, and so for me, that it's it's mind boggling to hear people say these things because they're not even doing research. The research will dispel everything that, you, that you're saying to me. Google it. Google it. I mean, I just, while we're talking, I pulled up uh, top 100 defense contractors and a percentage of contracts, and it's got a percentage right next to all of them. Anyone can Google this information. And um, right now, it lists uh, number one prime contractor, Lockheed Martin, 11% of the budget. Raytheon, 6% of the budget. General Dynamics, 5% of the budget. Do you know that 5% is the goal for all women businesses in the entire country? And one company got the whole goal? Raytheon, 6%. Pfizer, 4%. Boeing, 3.6%. Northrop, 3.2%. Humana, 1.9%. So... So when they're telling you that, right, that you have to be certified, you, you know, you can't, none of these other companies are certified. They're publicly held, but they're not certified. Publicly held doesn't, but it, I've won many contracts without having any certifications. Because that's how they solicit. If you were to go, if not Google, if you were to go to the SAM database and look up the number of actual government solicitations, right? Everyone is familiar with SAM.gov, System for Award Management. That's the federal government's uh, database for where they solicit the majority of their projects. If you were to go in there and just do a search for how many projects were set aside for any of these socioeconomic categories, you will find less than the goals that they set out. And so let me let me just share this with you. So the goal is 23%. I think under a new administration, they might have moved the, the bar. But let's just say 23%. The government is meeting their goals. However, when you look at what, how they're advertising their solicitations, they don't advertise 23% of their contracts to small business. So Susan, how is it that they meet their goals if they're not soliciting or advertising 23%? Do you know how they do it? There's a myth coming, dispelling a myth. Well, it's, 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 I mean, it's, it's a truth, but it's, it's the, the myth is that they're advertising all these things and they're, they're really like, so what happens is, and I was taught this by an actual government person taught me this. So this wasn't even like, this is, these are my ideas, right? None of these ideas are my own. These are things that I've learned along my journey. Because the government does such a great job, not just government, but just because a lot of People that tell teach small businesses do such a fantastic job of encouraging you to get these designations. And I'm not saying they don't have value. They will advertise a project as full and open competition, right? So anyone could bid it. If you happen to have be certified, they will take credit for your certification. Not that they advertise it for women. Not that they advertise it for veterans. But if you happen to be certified and you win that contract fair and square and open market, they will 
use your credit for your designation. So that's how the game is played. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. So Susan, is that really them helping small businesses? Is it really, did they really like make these opportunities available to small business or did the most qualified company win it who happens to be a small business? It's an old scenario, you know, which came first, chicken or the egg, you know, like. <laughs> I, I, again, if, if, if none of us, if we weren't certified, they still wouldn't meet their goals. They're not putting this to the side for us. There's the big myth. We think it's just sitting there waiting for us to reach out with our hand and say, give me, give me, give me. And it's not. And it's not. And so what happens is people, uh, they, they, because they have a lack of understanding of how these things work, um, they easily will tell, well, look, you know, and, and look, this is deep. I, I don't believe that the government employees are in on this. I think that most people work in silo and they only know the part of the business that they're taught. They don't have the wide perspective that, you know, people like myself and other industry leaders have. Um, and so they're not, it's not like they're in on it, right? They're not intentionally trying to do anything wrong. Uh, so when they tout that we met our small business goals, they truly believe that. You know, because yeah. the data shows it. So you're just, you're just reciting the data, right? If your job is to read off the reports that other people hand to you, you don't know how the information, how you arrived at that information. So they're not to blame for anything, right? It's not, it's not like there's anyone to point a finger to and say, they tried to manipulate the system. I'm just telling you how the system works. Hmm. And, and by the way, to take it one level further, on top of them, not advertising 23% of all opportunities for small businesses. Um, they don't even meet the 23% goal. So even though they say they meet the goal, the 23% goal, which was, again, remember, that was not advertised, right? <laughs> so, so that wasn't even, they didn't solicit 20, they don't take and say, here's, let's just say for, for, for simple math, the government spends 100 billion on contracts. 23 billion is going to go to small business, right? They don't advertise 23 billion for small business, but they meet their 23 billion goal. But let, let's take it even worse. They don't actually even meet their 23 billion goal because the goal is based on a weighted average of available contracts that they deem small businesses could qualify for. So even to meet the 23% is on a weighted scale of like whatever, let's say 70 to 80% of total opportunities because the other 20% no small business are eligible for. So they throw those out. So the effective number is closer to like 15%, maybe. I don't know. I don't have the math in front of me, but the effective number is a lot less <laughs> than the goal. And, but yet they're still getting A's in their scorecards for meeting goals because it's on a weighted scale. Well, Susan, who cannot get an A on a weighted scale? <laughs> Yeah, we all remember those bell curves when we took bell curves, right? Like, like, hey, the top student got a C, that becomes an A. Yeah. So yeah. your F becomes a C, your D becomes a B, right? And so forth. So I say all of that 
again, I love the federal government. I think they're equal to opportunity employer. I think they're the best entity to work for. Uh, we're just here stating when people say these, make these absurd comments about, um, right, that these things, right, are geared towards a certain group of people. They're really talking out of ignorance and a lack of education and actually just really a lack of research because all this information you can look up. It's public. Like they don't try to hide. It's not like the government's trying to, you know, they're not trying to bury it. They say when you look up government scorecard, they say based on the weighted average, it says it right. That's how they calculate it. So they're not, I don't think they're doing anything wrong. I, I personally don't. I, I accept the rules of any game and I know how to play. So it's not like I can go in and change the rule of dominoes or right. Or it's, or poker. You don't change the rules. You understand the rules. You don't say they're unfair. Those are just the rules and you play within the confines of the rules. So I welcome it and I love it and I embrace it. And I'm very happy to play in that. But when people try to tell me things that are disparaging, I just have to correct them. And that makes perfect sense. And so I think on, on that note, um, for those of you who have been tuning in, we are going to continue the conversation with Eric on another related topic. Um, but for those of you who are thinking about, wow, that really kind of changed my outlook or my opinion on this and are interested in learning more, uh, this is what Eric does. And so the way that we met each other, and I really encourage you, is he is on LinkedIn, connect with him and subscribe to his weekly newsletter. It is absolutely chock full of useful, I mean, truly useful information about this subject and helping you understand if you're thinking, wow, maybe I should explore this a little bit further. But Eric, tell us a little bit about, you know, you and how you help companies in this space who would like to dip their toe in this government contracting pool? Yeah. So a couple of things that we do. Uh, one thing, right. The reason why I'm here is because uh, I was working in a private sector, Susan, and um, you know, I did have some bad things happen to me. And so as a result, the federal government actually really saved my business and saved my life and allowed me to get back on my feet and, um, you know, build a life for myself and my family. And so I felt as though, um, you know, what the private government, private sector had done to me um, was I didn't want anybody else to go through that. So the government contracting world has, has, uh, has been a lifesaver. And really, I just want to share that with everyone publicly. So the first thing I did was create a YouTube channel. And again, my, you know, you can Google my name, Eric Coffey, GovCon Giants. And so we've got probably a thousand plus videos on YouTube for free for anyone to consume. Uh, we have a podcast. It's on Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, uh, where I interview the top small businesses in the country. And they share their stories of how they grew from zero employees to hundreds of employees, from, from thousands to millions and even tens of millions. And, and so some of our guests have even done a hundred plus million. Uh, and so you get to listen to those stories and you get to hear their experiences, right? Some of the things that they do. And I've always found that to be helpful because if you can't have direct mentors, you can have mentors that you, you listen to. And so a lot of my podcast guests are also on LinkedIn, so you can follow them and follow the things that they're doing. And if it happens to be someone that's in a similar type of field, right, you maybe even find that you, re you relate to them and connect to them in some kind of way. So again, I always tell people, start with the free resources, my YouTube channel, my LinkedIn. Uh, I do have an email. Uh, I have a newsletter on LinkedIn, but I also have a, a newsletter that we maintain uh, on govcongiants.com, the website. 
And so you could sign up on my on my actual newsletter that's on my website as well. Uh, that's one place to go. We talk about any upcoming events that I'm attending, uh, as well as new releases on my podcast. And that, that just so you don't miss anything, right? Um, but the two ways that we help businesses is we do training. Uh, we have a 12-week accelerator program that we basically spin up every quarter, um, take on new cohort. And um, that is a program that we've been doing now. I've been teaching online and teaching privately for probably like five years. So we've had thousands of students go through my trainings. Uh, and for those uh, companies that are a little bit larger and probably have more money than time. Uh, we do staff augmentation and business development. So we help companies build out their federal division and grow and scale in that arena. And so, um, again, all that information you can visit and find GovCon Giant uh, or on LinkedIn and just message us and our team. Okay. Well, thank you. And again, great information. I mean, my, my head is spinning about it. You know, like I said, you just dispelled a lot of my misconceptions or things that that I thought about government contracting. So thank you for sharing that. And for those of you listening, stay tuned to the next episode where we continue our visit with Eric, if you found this uh, enlightening. And until next time, keep it flowing. Thank you, Susan. Thanks so much for joining me, the Doo Diva, on this week's episode of Smells Like Money. What stood out to you this week? Share your takeaways by leaving me a review. You can find out more about the new technologies, creating sustainable solutions and insights on how to succeed in our vital industry by subscribing to the show. Whether you want to learn about the latest trends in wastewater infrastructure, treatment or trenchless, you've got it all right here at Smells Like Money. If you're an industry expert and would like to be considered as a guest for the show, book a quick chat with me by visiting calendly.com forward slash the Tuit group forward slash b dash a dash podcast dash guest or simply click the link in the show notes below until next week a big shout out to all my industry friends and those who will be you are my superheroes thanks for tuning in keeping it flowing and we'll see you all next week <laughs>